I mean, there was the summer of love, you know, in the <laughs> 60s. There was all the time of Janis Joplin and the Grateful Dead and yeah. Country Joe and the Fish and all these amazing kind of... It was a pretty amazing time. Hello and welcome to Essay Life, the podcast, episode two. My name is Penny Yap and I'm the editor of Essay Life magazine. My guest today is ceramic artist Margaret Dodd. Born in Bury in 1941, Margaret has gone on to become recognised around the globe for her artwork. The Art Gallery of South Australia has recently completed a major acquisition of a body of Margaret's work relating to her 1982 film and ceramic series, This Woman is Not a Car. Today, Margaret and I are going to talk about feminism, freedom and funk. Margaret, hello. Hi. <laughs> Lovely to have you here. But let's begin at the beginning, because you you loved art for most of your life, I understand, and you even your first career was as an art teacher, is that right? Yes, I had to be an art teacher because otherwise I couldn't go to art school. Right, that's how so it was, that was in the those whole days. Goal. I was very jealous of all those people who were students that didn't have to learn how to be teachers. Right. <laughs> didn't have to do technical drawing and needlework and make samplers. and That was all part of the program back then, was craft work and make horrible baskets that weren't very nice. <laughs> And, and how did you find teaching? It was all right in, in um, technical high schools mm-hmm. because it was much more um, oriented, I suppose, towards that kind of a teaching. Um, I was teaching in the World Girls Tech was my first job and it was just, I'd be, I was married by then. Uh-huh. No, I wasn't. <clears throat> I was actually only engaged. <laughs> <laughs> I was about 19. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I was teaching. I enjoyed that, but then I had to go off to high schools and that wasn't fun at all. They wanted to teach uh, Mark English essays and things. <laughs> but things changed Sorry. for you, didn't they, when um, after you were married, your husband got a position at a university in America? My husband was a mathematical physicist wow. at Adelaide University. He did his PhD here. And then um, he got a post- postdoctoral fellowship at Yale University in Connecticut. Good heavens was interesting because um, Joseph Albus was the head of the art school there and he had just um, retired, I think, and they had this amazing art school. How extraordinary. And just, this it was all like kind of whole era of architecture, you know. Yes. But, well, this was 1964, 65, was that right? Um, it was 64 when we yes. were there, yeah. Yeah. And then um, after a year there, I was surprised I didn't meet the president, you know, what went on at Yale. Um <laughs> But anyway, we went over, decided to move to California with mm-hmm. the same guy that my husband had been, um, you know, working with. Uh-huh. We went to Davis, California, which is was an agricultural campus, but it was just opening up to more kind of art and more science, more not not agricultural science. You know, mm-hmm. it was very strong on biology and things. It was called a cow campus. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Aggie cow campus. But this is in the San Francisco Bay area, isn't it? Yes, it's not yeah. too far from San Francisco. Yeah. You can, um, and it's very close to Sacramento. And rather an exciting time to be in the San Francisco Bay area in the mid to late 60s. There was a lot of uh, women's lib going on, wasn't there? There was all sorts of things going on. Actually, um, the women, the wives at Yale introduced me to women's lib because Yale was a male university, so all of their wives, who were all very intelligent and often graduates, were basically at home raising kids. Really? So we had, yeah, we had we had discussion groups about current affairs and things like that. And mm-hmm. 
So there was a prettily lot, and then there was some very radical stuff going on in America at that stage, you know, riots in universities. And really? Yeah. Do you think of, that's affected your thinking ever since? You're known as a bit of a radical thinker. Oh, at the time I didn't really, because I, you know, I had a baby in Yale, and I didn't really have much time, but I was trying to do some art stuff and not happy. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking next time we go somewhere else, I'm going to go back to art school okay. and do some of the things I want to do. So that's what I did when we got to Davis right. in 1965. Amazing. I went straight to the art department. <laughs> did you? Banged on the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's how I met Bob Arneson and, the, and the, all these other amazing artists. Robert Arneson, of course. You, you studied under him there, didn't you? Yeah, he'd been there for a few years by mm-hmm. then. Um, but he was still working in stoneware yes. when I arrived and doing these really funky sculptures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kind of uh, the typewriter with the fingernails, oh, and there yes. was something called Hello, something or other, um, and that was kind of like a, a penis on one end, <laughs> vagina on the other. I can't remember. Anyway, it was something quite. I remember very that funky. One. Yes, in fact, Robert's work was really breaking new ground in ceramics as a whole, wasn't it? It was because, like everybody there, they were really well trained at throwing, and so he mm-hmm. he'd grown up doing that, but he really wanted to do be a cartoonist Did when he? he was young, yeah. And he's an amazing drawer, painter, painter and drawer as well. Most, mm-hmm. you, know, you see his drawings. If you saw the cover of the book. Yes, I did. Did he draw that? that? Was, oh, yeah, that's the self-portrait. That's his book. It's the, him with his finger in his eye. What's the book called? The Difficult, the difficult um, Subject of Robert Arneson or something? Yeah, but it is, it's a fabulous book. And uh, It was like reading my kind of own story in a way. because oh, really? I because you know, it was a very formative time for everybody. Yes, I'm sure it was, because Robert is kind of known as the father of this funk ceramics movement, yeah, as yeah. it was called. And you landed right in the middle of that, didn't you? Well, yes. He decided to introduce white clay um, so that we could use colour. I see. Before that, you'd make a ceramic thing out of stoneware, mm. fire it, and then maybe glaze it, and then put the colour on. That's a very good effect, but... Uh, the white, you know, gave much more scope for, for colours. Yes. Uh, ceramics has always had a bit of a reputation as being a bit brown. Well, it had at that stage because mm-hmm. it was very influenced by the Bernard Leach and also Swedish um, pottery. You know, we had all these brown plates. Remember? Oh, yes. That was very 60s, plates, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so art pottery was, wasn't even so much into porcelain at that stage. It mm. was... Because porcelain was like mice and figures, you know, yes, like figurines right. and things. And, Wedgwood. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's amazing stuff, but it's not really what we wanted to do in the 60s. No, that's right. I mean, it was the summer of love, you know, in the <laughs> 60s. It was all the time of Janis Joplin and the Grateful Dead and yeah. Country Joe and the Fish and all these amazing kind of, it was a pretty amazing time. Sounds like you were living the life over there. Well, I was still a housewife. <laughs> <laughs> you were still a housewife? I was still kind of, you know, you have to be the, you know, it's a bit, I suppose a bit like being a doctor's wife. You have to play that kind of role. Mm-hmm. And I'd sort of accepted that, you know, so I could make myself a nice little suit, you know, out of Chanel-style suit, you know, and wear that and all the rest of it. But um, once I'd sort of failed to learn how to do pots, I asked her, what do you think I should do now, you know. Mm-hmm. He said, why don't you take my sculpture class, ceramic sculpture class? And he said, little 
projects for us, and he wanted a double illusion, and I made that fake funk truck. Yes, I've seen it. Tell me about the fake funk truck. Well, I'd seen a, a thing called Funk Truck by Dennis Oppenheim, who's mm-hmm. quite a famous um, artist. Love his work. Um, but this funk truck was like two blocks of wood covered in floral fabric, mm-hmm. as I remember it. And I just saw it in one of these uh, you know, galleries in San Francisco or Sacramento. And I thought, double illusion, I'll make a fake funk truck <laughs> out of ceramics and I'll make it look like a stuffed toy. Uh-huh. So that's how the fake funk truck evolved, and and Bob really liked that. You know, he sort of thought, oh, yeah, this is interesting. And, you know, what are you going to do now? <laughs> and I stole more trucks, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's when I started thinking about the fact that, you know, he sort of concurred that cars would be a very good kind of little avenue to follow because they're so, like, they dominated America, you know. Yes. Absolutely. And they say so much, so much about people. Mm-hmm. So, um, But with Bob there as a kind of example to us all right. of plunging into things that you shouldn't be doing. And, but everybody had their own kind of different way of doing things. Dave Gilhooley made massive, great um, hippopotamuses, you know, in ponds. That was play. Nice. It was all sorts of things. And Peter Vandenberg started doing figures, but at that stage he was making vegetables. <laughs> But it sounds like a time of great freedom and great creativity. And all these, it was a bit like Flinders Uni was when it first started up, where you get all this fresh, youngish talent Uh in the same place. Leading the way. And they all get drunk at lunch and have a great time (laughs) talking about everything and, you know, bouncing off each other. So each, it wasn't, there was no kind of, there weren't like, this is our, our stuff, you know, and, you know, don't you dare copy us. Everybody. Fed off everybody. It was very inclusive. So, yeah, I just landed in the right spot. Mm. Very lucky. Amazingly lucky. So after your one-person show and this fabulously inspirational time, you came back to Adelaide. Yeah, we we came back on the Oriana. So I had an experience of actually being a housewife again. Yes. And that was pretty um, sobering. That must have been a bit of a culture shock for you. It was a massive culture shock Mm because Adelaide was very conservative. Mm. So you'd, stage, you'd moved from the Bay Area in this exciting life out to Holden Hill, I think, in a trust house, is that right? Yeah, the university was renting some trust houses that at Holden Hill, not too far from the police station. <laughs> uh, but I did start making cars, but they didn't really work in that in that environment because I didn't have the right clay. And... So you tried to continue your art practice even though you were in this totally alien environment? Well, at that stage I was because it Holden Hill seemed like an awful long way from the art gallery and everything mm-hmm. at that stage in 1960, what was it, eight, nine? Mm-hmm. We moved to College Park. I found a house there where it was like more congenial. Yes. Mm. A bit closer to things. Yeah. And eventually I got a kiln. But I, first, I think I fired some of my first stuff. I got the kiln in about 1971, yes. Mm-hmm. In 1975, it was International Women's Year, is that right? Apparently. Apparently. (laughs) It's a bit like the 70s in Australia, you know. If you remember them, you weren't really there. (laughs) It was the 60s in America. 70s in Australia. Apparently. Well, you were there for both. There's pictures of me dancing in Victoria Square, and I think Robin Archer might have, or somebody sang Menstruation Blues. I remember that. So that was probably that year. Right. Mm. Um, But at this 
around this time, uh, you and your friend Julie Ewington had an idea, didn't you, about creating a, a bit of a movement for women's arts? I'm sure there were other people involved too, mm. um, but that was the start. Julie, you got to know Margaret, I believe, in the 1970s at the early days of Flinders University, and the two of you came up with a concept for a women's art movement. How did that all come about? It was very straightforward, really. I'd been introduced to Margaret by uh, my great friend Alex Danko, an artist with whom she'd worked, and we hit it off immediately and had many interests in common, but actually it started from an idea of Margaret's. She mm-hmm. came around to see me in Goodwood at number 36 Florence Street, Goodwood, <laughs> and sat down in my kitchen and she said, Julie, I think we should start a women's art movement here in Adelaide, just like the ones that Lucy Lepard was talking about when she gave her lectures in International Women's Year. Mm-hmm. And once it was out of her mouth, it was so obviously the right thing to do. Wow. And I agreed immediately, and my second thought was what a huge amount of work it would be. <laughs> but in fact, in fact, the women's art movement in Adelaide was one of a number of women's art groups that had started around Australia, starting from late 73 in Sydney, and there were other groups in Melbourne and so on. And But of all of them, actually, the Adelaide women's art movement was the longest lasting. Oh, that was really? one of the interesting things about it. So it was um, very exciting, very interesting times. And of course, it was in the middle of the Dunstan government. So there was a lot of support for innovation and for new ideas in the arts. That's interesting. And of course, it culminated in this its huge exhibition in 1977, didn't it? I'm afraid so. It seemed seemed as though, I mean, that was my idea. And so I brought it on myself because it seemed to me that we could have um, a talk shop, nothing wrong with that, that Mm -hmm. we get discussions you know, consciousness raising was one of the terms that was used in the 70s about discussing um, life and various professional practices as well, you know, all sorts of life um, mm-hmm. issues from a feminist perspective. That was great, but we had many members coming from different sides, different practices in the arts and theatre and visual arts, and it occurred to me that if we actually staged a show, we would find out in practice what we thought were the issues and get to know each other a whole lot better. Hmm. So that's what we did. We had an unselected National Women's Art Show in August 1977 at the old jam factory on Paynham Road. Okay. And um, it was an absolutely massive undertaking, um, quite a highlight really, oh, wow. yeah, of those years. Well, you and Margaret have obviously remained friends ever since. How would you describe Margaret and how would you describe her work? Uh, Margaret's, Margaret's a very interesting person. I mean, she's um, absolutely passionate mm. about her work. She's got a huge amount of drive. She never stops working. She's an original. She's an original. She found uh, her material, which was clay, though she's worked a great deal in video as well. But um, she she found her material fairly early, and she found this subject, which was really this extraordinary grey area between masculinity, femininity, as they're expressed in Australia through the medium of the car. Mm. So she had started making lovely little cars while she was still working and studying in California at University of California, Davis. Um, There's a darling little mini minor, for example, um, left-hand drive mini minor in the Queensland Art Gallery collection. And she had 
certain cars which she produced in this loving kind of, not exactly pop art, but they were a kind of, they have a kind of strange emotional or nostalgic aspect to them. Mm. So when she came back to Australia and she um, had been living in the birds before and after, she really found a way to make those little cars work mm. at these issues which had to do with how women were seen, what kind of work they did, what kind of persona they were. So her movie, This Woman Is Not A Car, probably in that one line, sums up the kind of complex of ideas that she worked through and on with the car. It, each piece has a very clear message. There's always been an interest in Margaret's work. It's never dropped out of public eye. But really, I think what's happening now is that younger women are extremely interested in the pioneering work of feminists of Margaret's generation. Mm. Uh, they, they're curious about the work. It's partly that the, the Holden car coming from Adelaide is so redolent with a whole bunch of regrets, really, you know, the, the loss of manufacturing, the sense that time has passed. I don't suppose anybody regrets the idea that one had to be a suburban housewife, um, <laughs> but there's something about the strangeness of making the cars, the personae in the film and mm. In the, in the group that AGSA has acquired that still, in a surreal way, touches people's imagination. Oh, it certainly does. Well, we had everything in that. Like we had Trotskyites, <laughs> we had Maoists, we had Russian, you know, um, socialists, Russian ones, and more kind of English-type socialists. And <laughs> in little old Adelaide, hey? We, and we had Don Dunstan. Yes. And, um, yeah, and, and that was huge because he was such an experimental person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was out there and he was very, very smart. Speaking of radical ideas, when when did you start thinking about creating a film? Oh, God, in Davis. Um, really? So it was yeah, as I'd, far back as the 60s? I actually hadn't seen a lot of movies. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to go and see Gina Autry and Hopalong Cassidy and, <laughs> you know, Mickey Mouse cartoons and, and all that sort of thing, you know, on Saturday afternoons mm -hmm. at the... The Berry <laughs> Cinema. That's right, you're from Berry, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I came from Berry, South Australia. Um, yeah, so I'd seen, I, I hadn't seen a lot, when I grew up, I'd seen a lot more concerts and ballet and that sort of theatre, but not very many movies. And um, so when I got to Davis, The Graduate was fairly, came out. Oh, the, the film The Graduate. Yeah. Oh, did it? I love it because I started going to movies. I had a movie club and I started going to movies. So there was something afoot. And then I came back to Australia and sort of almost, yeah, forgot about it for a year or two. Mm -hmm. And then um, we went to Holland yes. for a year. And, and the Stadelijk Museum has had movies in the evenings on Wednesday afternoons or something. And um, so I used to get on the tram and go and see these films, you know. And um, they had a whole series of women's films from Canada and all over the place. Did they? And this amazing American called Maya Deren, who everybody knows about these days, but they didn't then, mm -hmm. 1974. Um, and that film just knocked me out. You know, I thought, that's how I want to make films, like that, you know. I see. But then you come to the film industry here and that's not on their agenda. So you have to 
in a way, I think this woman is kind of like a car as a kind of compromise. Really? Between being a pure art film where you don't have to have a narrative, really. Mm-hmm. You have a narrative, but it's a surreal narrative mm-hmm. or something, you know. Mm-hmm. It's got some kind of other meaning. Yeah, it was just sort of like liberating to think that you could do something like that. So I wanted to make a very surreal movie and a real movie about Australian men and the way they liked cars so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, American men, everyone, met, all men everywhere like cars. Yes. And get obsessed with them. But to me, there was something missing in Australia in the culture of men and women, and I think it probably emanated from Britishness in the first place. Right. But also from the fact that where we had it, we were a frontier. Mm-hmm. So men were men, you know. Women did of the housework course. or looked like princesses or something. Yes. You know, or goddesses. And um, I wanted to make a film about being the housewife. <laughs> so you made a horror film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I didn't want it to be a horror film. I mean, I wanted it to be um, – well, I just wanted to push it mm-hmm. as, like, Anderson taught us all to push things as mm-hmm. far as possible. Um, so I wanted to make something with cars, and I started with an animation in my idea. Oh, I see. When I wanted to try and animate the cars. I remember I put one of my cars on the bonnet of my own car, a ceramic car <laughs> bonnet, and then tried to film it and drive along at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> to get the car moving through the landscape. So that was the sort of start, and I applied to the Australian... I went and did a couple of weeks training in making 16mm films at the uh, film school in Sydney. Mm-hmm. I got the first grant in about July 76. Really? And started started work pretty quickly, finding you know, locations and mm-hmm. realising that I was going to have to probably be a, have a kind of narrative to it. So the narrative part became the life of the housewife, yes. you know, in a house and what was going on in there. And then that's where the fantasy starts, you know, when she's looking in the mirror mm-hmm. and she suddenly sees headlights instead of what she'll be there under a dressing gown. Yes. And um, her daughter comes in with a Barbie doll with a car costume on it, you know, yes. Holden costume on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so that's sort of the first thing, but mostly she's picking up kids from and ferrying them around to school. and Having watched your film, I, well, I can't yeah. count the number of kids in the back of that car at some stages. Yeah, well, actually I've forgotten. I've got, I've got a photograph that I was getting printed that I'm going to pick up today and it's got about 20 kids in a circle on the front veranda of my place and it was like when we were getting ready to make the film, we were kind oh. of mustering the troops. Right. And they nearly all lived in Westbury Street in Hackney. <laughs> Or thereabouts. We looked up locations and found service stations and found the first service station at Virginia that would cooperate. That's where the service station was, isn't it? Yeah, Navy Jennings kind of display home down at Trot Park. I see. And And where's the the beach? Which beach are they on in the the film? The picnic, you mean? The picnic, yeah. The picnic was at Middle Beach. Okay. Mm, So that's a very tidal kind of mangrove (laughs) sort of beach where people go fishing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And when the sun was coming down, when the pies and pasties arrived from about 20 miles away, we were they'd been heated up and the kids pounced on them. They were nearly washed away. Yes. <laughs> on their Onkaparunga rug. <laughs> this tide was coming in. And then I stopped because I'd run out of money. And also I'd run out of steam, really, because mm-hmm. it was pretty hard making a film without a budget. Yes. Yeah. And so then I... 
I started playing the drums in a rock and roll band. Did you? Yeah, called Foreign Body. <laughs> and Foreign Body, um, we were very successful, actually. I did not know this about you, Margaret. Evolved out of a film, a whole lineup of about 10 women called Jiswana was the name of the band, Jiswana. Okay. And, um, and then that format formed down into Foreign Body, but they needed a drummer. For some reason, I think their drummer broke her arm or something, and she was still singing in the band. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd, I'd sort of just learned to started learning to play the drums from one of my boyfriends who had a drum kit. Right. And I, I, but except I was divorced by then, mm-hmm. and um, I joined Foreign Body. <laughs> <laughs> and how long were you a drummer in a rock band? Couple of years, I reckon. Really? Yeah, and we did well. We played the orientation ball in Canberra, and we well. played the Crystal Palace in Melbourne. And really? Yeah, and um, then I got involved with Aboriginal um, matters. I got a job teaching at the Centre for Aboriginal Studies in Music, mm-hmm. and got involved with Aboriginal bands as well. So it was quite a thing at my place because I had a big house with two rooms, the you know, drum kit in the corner, and what more could you want? You know. Then I thought, well, I'd better get back to that film. But, you know, years later we got it all back together again and we did all of the stuff with the cars. I see. And um, then started editing, you know, money on money again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you go back to the AFC now, then and get some more. And it went on like that, you know. This exhibition at Art Gallery SA has been co-curated by Rebecca Evans and Elle Freak. Elle, it must be so exciting to finally have acquired these works to be part of the gallery's permanent collection. Yes, yeah, we're so thrilled. Um, this acquisition has really been over 40 years in the making. Has it really? It has, which is quite unusual. Um, the gallery first expressed an interest in acquiring the body of work mm-hmm. um, after it was first exhibited at the Art Gallery of South Australia in 1977. All the way back then, right. All the way back then, yeah. So that was um, Margaret Dodd's Link exhibition, Mm -hmm. um, which included an unfinished version of the film, This Woman Is Not A Car, and then also her ceramic sculptures. And, um, yeah, I think people knew even then that it was capturing this important, really revolutionary moment in our cultural history, I think it's fair to say, and also our art history. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's been a really long time coming and it's the result of, um, you know, past and present curators combined. I think, um, well, hopefully this display really speaks to that, speaks to the legacy of Margaret Dodd's vision with this series and um, highlights its relevance to the moment that we're in now, um, politically and culturally and socially. Mm, Absolutely. And and how are acquisitions like this funded by the gallery? This one was supported um, very generously through the Lorraine Hossack Fund. Mm -hmm. So like most cultural organisations, our budgets are constrained um, and our artistic program and acquisitions are made possible almost entirely through philanthropic and corporate support. Wow. So, yeah, so we're incredibly grateful to Lorraine. So Lorraine, who's no longer with us, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. Lorraine was a lot like Margaret in some ways. You know, she was quite well-travelled. Mm-hmm. She studied as an educator and had a great interest in women artists and um, women artists who were really pioneers in their field. 
um, and also an interest in the visual arts of South Australia. So we thought it was a really perfect fit um, for that fund to support this major acquisition. There's a lot going on in the 70s. <laughs> yes, that sounds like it. But all these years later, the message, I think, is, is as relevant as it was when you, when you made the pieces. That's a scary thing. I mean, there was more going on mm-hmm. then. You know, we, we got women's shelters. Mm-hmm. We got um, support for women, single mothers. Mm-hmm. We got a health centre, women's health centre in, in Mary Street, Highmarsh. We got a whole lot of shelters mm-hmm. all during that period. Right. And women equal pay for women. And this was like the Whitlam-Dunstan era. era. It was very, a lot going on. Yeah, and it seemed good at the time. But we've gone now from like not being allowed to go to work Mm -hmm. if you're a mother Mm -hmm. to actually having to go to work if you're a mother. Right. But still without pay, really. Mm -hmm. Right. And it sort of grows from, I mean, Australia was a very blokey place. And Australian men didn't really quite know how to deal with women, I don't think. Do you think they do now? Much better. Well, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful exhibition and it's a, it's a wonderful film that, as we've been saying, just still resonates so strongly with us all today. Yeah, well, they're doing a lovely job of putting it up now. They it's are. Just from, uh, they're wonderful people there. <laughs> well, we could talk all day, couldn't yes. we? Yes. But it's been lovely to speak to you, Margaret. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun to do it. (laughs) Get it all off my chest. Thank you for listening. You can see this exhibition of Margaret's work at the Art Gallery of South Australia as part of Sala 2020. To read more about what's happening for Sala this year, pick up the August issue of SA Life magazine, which is out now. Or to read more about SA Life, visit our website, salife.com.au. 